She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. If there is anyone out there who still doubts that America is a place where all things are possible, America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination, and control. We are born free and we will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. What magic wand do you have? A really strong job report to start the year, finishing really after a very strong year last year. 2.6 million jobs created last year, and, and here the first month of this year, 304,000 net new jobs. That's more than economists had expected. And now, Stacey Washington. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being with us. If you are interested in who's coming on the show this hour, well, you should be excited because we're going to chat with Blair Ellis. She's coming to us from the Republican National Committee. The RNC has such fantastic spokespeople that come on the show, and Blair is no different. We're so excited to speak to her today. And we're also going to be talking some more about, well, this former federal prosecutor, Sidney Powell. She had this amazing... uh, kind of breakdown of what's happening with the Russia probe and what we're seeing and what we're not seeing. So we'll discuss that as well. Right now, I want to go to the phones. Evan in West Virginia, thank you so much for calling the show. Uh-oh, looks like we lost her. I'm not sure what happened. And Well, it's actually showing still, someone's still there. Um, Hello? Oh, hi. Thank you for calling into the show. Hello. I think we're having some sound issues with uh, the phones today. We'll have to try to get back with her again. Maybe the call screener can get her to call back. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a, one of those issues where, speaking of this former federal prosecutor, Sidney Powell, speaking of this, it's, it's one of those issues where if you have your head screwed on straight, you know something happened incorrectly. And if you're concerned at all about justice and making sure that equal, uh, you know, e- we have equal justice under the law, then you know that we, what we don't want, the thing that we just cannot tolerate is to have people prosecuted or investigated based on their political affiliations. So I want you to listen to her. To, she's uh, talking to Cheryl Atkinson on her weekend program, um, Full Measure. And this is, I mean, this is kind of stunning when you think about it. And just as backup, this woman has been working in government under attorneys generals and, you know, doing federal prosecutions under Democrats and Republicans. Um, So this, this isn't about partisanship for her. It's number five. Our Russia collusion narrative was made up that the FBI and the intelligence community and the Department of Justice began an investigation against four American citizens simply because they worked for the opposition political candidate, that being Donald Trump. Powell, who calls herself politically independent, served as an assistant prosecutor under nine U.S. attorneys, both Democrats and Republicans. Where many see Russia collusion, she sees systemic corruption inside the Justice Department and intelligence community. 
a topic she writes about in License to Lie. Crucial evidence, Powell claims, lies within these little reported court documents, where our intel agencies get lambasted, not by partisans, but by the lead judge in the secretive Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. She is taking the FBI to task for having given unlimited, unsupervised access to raw intelligence. What do you look at in Google? Uh, telephone information, calls, texts, you name it. Everything, every nightmare everybody has of information being collected by Big Brother. The FBI gave three private contractors unlimited unsupervised access to that. So she's talking about when you're at home and you're searching for maybe you've got something, you know, like let's for let's use it as, as an example. You got an ingrown toenail or you have something going on with your um, you know, maybe you're you have a funny elbow, wonky elbow, or maybe you have some kind of a, you know, little bump on a part of your body and you're trying to figure out if it's cancer or, you know. Um who knows what people are looking at on their online searches? And honestly, it's no one's business. It's not, it's not anyone's business in the government to decide, um, let's take a look at all of her internet searches. Especially, you know, the internet searches that they're looking at contain information from others in the household, correct? You, you were talking about your family members. Anyone who's using the same IP address that you're using their internet searches are going to be available to look at as well. How is that fair? How is that something that we should be okay with? Um, you know, how can we be okay with people doing this kind of extrajudicial punishment of individuals that they don't like? Um, and then the prosecution, where is it? Where's the prosecution of the people who put this whole thing on? Uh, it's kind of frustrating. So, um, okay, we have a guest, or not a guest, but um, a caller about education. Thank you so much for calling the show. Hello. Hi. Thanks for calling in. Hey. Is this Stacy? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I wasn't sure. It's hard to tell. Um, when, when the call goes through. Anyway, I am Yvonne, and I'm from West Virginia, and I appreciate you very much for presenting our situation and unfortunate outcome of our uh, education dilemma. And um, I'm very upset about it, and I did call four of my elected officials, delegates, and voiced our concern about having school choice and uh, what they had you know, presented in that bill. And yet they still, under the pressure of this strike, um, they, they caved in, and, and they had already taken a vote once, and it was 16 to 18, they passed, and then they tabled it, and then they decided to, um, it's, it's gone now, uh, it's, they're not going to bring it back. So once again, you know, we've been defeated, and I even, I even stressed to them, the very thing that you said on the radio, that so many of our people don't know, and I, and I think it's because there's lack of numbers of people showing up, and those teachers were were better organized this time than they were last year because it hasn't been a year since they got that last raise and they went out on strike and the governor allowed that to, you know, to come about. And then they've done it again and they, I think they feel empowered. But I do think there's interference and I think this time it's more political because they actually got their 5% last time. And there's a lot of us that don't get those kind of raises, if any raise, each year. 
And so uh, it's not that I don't want them to be paid well. We have educators in my very family, and they are also for, for choices. And so I'm very disappointed. I'm so discouraged, and I appreciate the information you all offered. You're exactly right. Our state, if we need other choices, this is definitely a state that, that could use that for mm-hmm. our children. And if it's for the children, why wouldn't want that? they want us to have those options? So I, I'm very discouraged, but I appreciate so much you putting it out there for people to hear. Well, thank you for calling in and for kind of giving us that on-the-ground report of what's happening there. And I'm my, my intention in covering the story and in discussing it is to inform people and to, you know, it, it is discouraging to see basically a bunch of people to protect their own jobs are telling American taxpayers what they can and cannot do. I mean, that, that you have to let that sink into yourself for a second. They're saying you will not, um, you will not put your kids anywhere else. You will not be allowed to have another option another uh, ability to have a, a, you know, another outlet for your kid's education, not from the state. If you want to do private school, go ahead and do it. You're going to pay for this public education as well. And that has been the attitude in a lot of different states. And parents have said, you know what? Not today. Uh, Thank you, but no thanks. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do something for my family. I'm going to go ahead and, and I'm going to overrule that. And the reason I'm doing it is because it's so important for my kids. It's so important for kids in the state. So now I want to talk about um, this. It's called the new nihilism. So you guys have heard me talk a lot about Victor David Hansen, and uh, he wrote, he's writing over at the Hoover Institution about this subject. And when we're talking about the new nihilism, this, this is not some like partial idea, some, something that um, isn't, it, it's not new. What we're seeing with, liberals and their push to kind of take everything over. And I don't mean take everything over in the sense like they're saying they're the resistance and they don't want to submit to President Trump or the ideas of people that they oppose. I'm talking about taking things over at every level of government so that they decrease the amount of power you have over yourself, the amount of liberty you have over yourself. And so their contrast is supposed to be This is the Trump agenda. This is what President Trump has put forward. And this is what we believe in. But instead of doing that, they've just kind of been in a kind of aimless, ridiculous lurch to the left. And it's not with, uh, you you know, usually if you make a huge change in your belief system or what you want to do, or if you adopt some new ideas that were previously very foreign to you, usually it's because you have overwhelming evidence or someone has convinced you, look, this is really great and you need to get on board. But we're not seeing that with the Democrats. Bernie Sanders hasn't convinced anybody that socialism works, but he and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have been able to show that their weird ideas are popular. What they haven't been able to do is show that they work. And what people are forgetting, this is why that maxim about history, people who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. It's why it's so obviously probably one of the perfect maxims of all maxims. People who don't understand that socialism failed spectacularly repeatedly in the last century are doomed to want to believe that a politician can magically make all college tuition free. A politician can decide that everyone gets excellent, fantastic, private luxury health care 
but they're going to get it from the government. A politician can stand there with a straight face and say, you shouldn't have, you should have to pay a lot in tax, but you shouldn't have to buy your own health insurance and you shouldn't have to pay for your own education or your own um, college education. You shouldn't even have to really pay for your own home. If you don't have the desire to work, you should have someone take care of that for you. Do we understand how ridiculous that is? Well, of course we do because we have our heads screwed on straight and we understand balancing budgets and we understand, uh, you know, money coming in and money going out and that it's not an infinite thing. You can't just make more money just because other people want it. And so that, that means there are some harsh realities. What it means is, is that there are different tiers of colleges. Uh, some colleges are not as good as others. And it means that because of where kids have gone educationally and because of their raw material, their desire to work, their desire to learn, the amount of time they spent learning and doing their education as opposed to playing basketball, watching television, playing football, soccer, playing video games, hanging out with friends, smoking marijuana, choices that people make will impact the results that they're able to attain. So what, what am I saying here? They will never have equal outcomes. We're never going to have 100% of America's kids going to Harvard, mainly because Harvard can't hold 90 million people. And the other reason is because not everyone's smart enough to go there. And so no matter what we do, no matter what uh, government program we implement, we're never going to have the same outcomes for people because there's always going to be that person. And as soon as I start describing them, you know this person in your life. You probably have more than one of them in your life. The person who just doing the amount that's required isn't good enough for them. They always have to go above and beyond. If there's something that they're working on as a project, it is the most complete, most advanced, most expansive project that it could be. They're not satisfied with just doing what needs to be done. And you also know people in your life who, no matter how low you set the bar, they're just a little too tired to meet it. So how can those two people have the same outcomes? Even government can't make it happen. And that's why this is so crazy what they're peddling on the left right now. When we get back, we're going to have Blair Ellis from the Republican National Committee. Stay right here for more American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. percent of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. There are currently pre-born centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? Dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love could save a life. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Here's a question for you. What country is leading the world in reducing CO2 emissions? Germany? France? Japan? No, the country reducing greenhouse gas emissions more than any other country is the United States of America. Your ability or inability to provide the right answer to that question probably says a great deal about the news sources you consume. Much of the mainstream media made a big deal out of the fact that the U.S. withdrew from the Paris Accords. And they continuously reminded us that the U.S. never signed the Kyoto Protocol. What they rarely, if ever, told us is the U.S. has reduced CO2 emissions. Here's another question for you. What country leads the world in total CO2 emissions? If you guessed the United States, once again, you would be wrong. China is the world's largest emitter of carbon dioxide, and India is the third largest emitter. I bring this up because it shows the problem of trying to curb the United States when we don't have the ability to curb other nations. For every ton of reduced CO2 emissions in the U.S., China and India produce nearly 10 more tons. In other words, they cancel out any reduction by the United States by 10 times. The solution being proposed in the Green New Deal would be to force the United States to reduce CO2 emissions to the point that the country might be carbon neutral. That is not possible. But even if it was possible, the climate sensitivity models predict that it would only affect the world temperature by a tenth of a degree Celsius by 2100. And even if all the countries adopted a similar policy, it would only cool the earth by about two tenths of a degree Celsius by the end of the century. I believe some of these important political and scientific facts deserve to be publicized while we're currently debating domestic environmental policies. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. You can find out more at AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, and at Stacy on the Right, StacyOnTheRight.com. That's a lot of websites, but you can visit them at your leisure. We are so glad to have you with us. And it's also my pleasure to welcome frequent guests on the program, Blair Ellis from the Republican National Committee. Blair, thanks for joining us today. Um, good, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because there's a lot in the news right now. Like there's there's just a ton of different things going on. And I'm really interested in um, kind of breaking down this situation that's going on where the president's going to be out of the country next week. I, I've been flubbing it and saying he's going to Vietnam, but he's going he's going to meet with uh, the North Korean leadership for some more kind of smoothing of the relationship. And um mm-hmm. He's not going to be here. And so true to form, we've seen this happen a couple of times, numerous times over the course of his presidency. Whenever he is wheels up and out of the country, then we have the DOJ or somebody issuing some kind of weird report or making some indictments. It's as if they they feel like he can't know what they're doing because he's out of the country. It's weird. You're so right. It's like the second that the president goes off to handle some international affairs and deals here on a world stage, there's always something that seems to move and shake here in the in the United States. Um, so we'll we'll certainly see. We know that there is um, there are reports that Mueller's investigation could wrap as early as next week. I've also heard that uh, I've also heard rumors that that's that's too premature. That the findings wouldn't be revealed next week, even if it did wrap. And so um, we'll see. But it, for certain, it almost seems like we jinx ourselves. The second he gets on a plane to head out of the country, it's, there's always something that that ends up going on. So we'll see how it plays out. But hopefully, uh, hopefully that's not the case for us. 
So there's been a lot of discussion about Mueller's report being, um, you know, I, I see liberals kind of tamping down expectations. It's probably not going to be anything. It's probably going to be less than mm-hmm. what you're expecting. Meanwhile, most of the media types at CNN, MSNBC, all over, they've been setting the expectation that the minute the report is issued, a huge SWAT team is going to descend on the White House and take President Trump out in cuffs, and he'll be impeached within moments. And then he and Melania and Barron will be trundled out of the White House, their belongings in moving vans. It'll be just that fast (laughs) and that decisive. And I giggle at that a little bit because we all know that Bill Clinton was impeached. And we, we don't have to agree whether or not he should have been impeached, but he was. And he went on to, you know, maintain a, a pretty strong legacy as a popular president. So what is the end game here? You know, I I'm, I don't know, but you make a great point when you also state that, that Democrats are starting to shift the narrative. They're starting to try and shift that that message about what we're going to hear when Mueller does re- release his reports. And I think it's because we know, um, everybody knows that there is there has been no evidence of collusion. We've heard that repeated several times. We heard it from Senator Richard Burr on the Senate Intelligence Committee repeatedly. Um, to this point, he has stated from the evidence that we have seen over the course of the last couple of years and the 300,000-plus documents they've reviewed, they have seen no direct evidence of collusion. Um, he said it one day, he repeated it and again in, a, in an interview the following week. And so, I think now that that type of information is becoming more and more public um, and that general uh, Americans are starting to hear that again confirmed by this bipartisan committee, Democrats are realizing they're losing on this issue and they're starting to kind of shift their their tone a little bit from what types of findings will be found to, oh, well, you know, we might not see something as, as, as damning as they thought and hoped that, that we would see, if anything at all. And so I think it's clear there is no collusion. There's been no direct evidence of collusion found thus far. This is just a talking point from Democrats to try and slow the, the awesome progress this administration has been making. Oh, Blair, that's it right there. Um, it, in my mind, my gut tells me that it's not so much that they truly believe that he could be removed from office. Um, they, of course, they hope against hope and they all have their dreams. You know, some people dream about cheese. Some people dream about beautiful, you know, Art Deco coffee tables. And they dream about seeing the president removed from the White House. But I do think it's about stopping the agenda because whether they admit it or not, President Trump has been extremely successful with the economy, mm-hmm. reducing regulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, foreign adversaries abroad are now all rechecking their their kind of they had lists of goals. Then he became the president. Now they're rechecking like, well, here's a bunch of stuff we can't get done because this guy's he's not going to put up with it. I mean, he's he's got a lot of success under his belt. And it, and there's more on the totally. horizon, you know, so that it's it's weird because I think they want to stop that. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, you hit the nail on the head. The economy's booming. We've seen record low unemployment, the largest wage gain since 2009. Deregulation is taking place at a record clip. America is incredibly strong. And, and we've seen our, our president lead on the world stage more than once. Um, and we saw him with Venezuela just this past week. He's again, as you pointed out, making a trip overseas just next week for a second meeting with, uh, with Kim Jong-un. And, and that is something that's that's incredibly noteworthy and very momentous, and it's going to be—it's going to mean a freer, safer—you um, know—not just Korean p- Peninsula, but freer, safer world for everybody to live in. And it's because President Trump has been so successful that we're seeing Democrats really scratch for anything, um, just to try and slow the progress. And it's—it's um, it's a shame. But once we can get past the Mueller investigation, it makes you wonder: Well, what's what's going to be the next thing they cling to? What's going to be the next mud that they try and throw at the wall and make stick? So, okay, 
<laughs> You're right about that. But can we just for one second, Blair, just kind of talk about how the president even waded into the Jesse Smollett thing and he tweeted out a couple things and everyone's mad about that, which I don't understand why they would be mad at him for tweeting about a situation that the, the wrongdoer is the accuser. And now that the story is a huge dumpster fire and, and remember, it was President Trump's fault that two MAGA hat wearing thugs, you know, Donald Trump supporters were beating up this gay man. But now that it's found that he hired two Nigerians to do it, it's still Donald Trump's fault because he sent a tweet. Like, I don't I don't get how they it's, it's almost as if people have lost their actual minds. People, I think, at, at this day and age, I think people are more interested in, in finger-pointing than in anything else, than in getting to the facts, than, um, than, than allowing due process to move forward. Um, people want to rush to judgment. I mean, we saw it with the Covington High School students. Mm. Uh, we, saw, we saw different members of the media trying to rush to judgment about how they perceived that situation and, um, and, and what they saw happening, and it was all because that kid was wearing a MAGA hat, that for some reason he was guilty. Um, and, and we saw it again with this Jesse Smollett situation where we saw the media again rush to a conclusion um, and, and not wait to receive all the facts, not wait to receive the full download of information that was made available. And so um, what, when that starts to happen, um, you know, you can't, you can't help but wonder, is this, is this the day, is this type of media that we're left with, one that jumps to conclusions, rushes to make assumptions, and doesn't allow the facts to present themselves? And that's that's a, a disservice to the American people, just to, to be quite frank. It is. And I, so I don't know if you saw, <clears throat> pardon me, we played this audio from Willie Geis. He was on TV, it might have been this morning, um, saying that the media shouldn't have been rooting for an outcome, that the media has a responsibility to bring the story no matter which way it leads, and that he sees people getting away mm -hmm. from that. I almost fell out of this little office chair here. I was like, what did he just say? I mean, you know, he's like not, uh, not exactly a conservative, but it's the truth. It is the truth, and I had not, I had not heard that, so that is a little bit surprising, but that's exactly right. I heard a couple people on, um, on The Five on Fox News say the same thing yesterday, that um, it, is, it is a disservice to the job of, of truth first. And, and honor first and pre presenting the information as you see it, no holds bar, with no prejudice, no, um, no kind of preconceived ideas, no underlying ulterior motive. That is supposed to be the job of the media. And, and unfortunately, with, with instant after instant, we continue to see kind of, again, this rush to point fingers, this rush mm -hmm. to associate whatever uh, crisis du jour is happening back to the administration somehow to tie it back to President Trump. It's unfair. It's unfair to, uh, to, to the record of accomplishments that President Trump has, has made, and it's unfair just generally to the American people that we, we deserve better and, and should get better from, uh, from our national and, and mainstream media. We should. And I think if, if we, so if we just, because I, I kind of held back, you know, Blair, when I saw the story, I was like, oh, no, uh, you know, the man was attacked when he was leaving the subway. And then as I read right. on, I was like, this is not a story that I'm going to weigh in on because something within me, like, so I'm a mom and I've been a mom for a while. So I kind of, I have a little bit of a radar for something that's not going quite the mm -hmm. way it should be going in the way of a, he did this to me. And then you're like, well, how? And then that's when things go wrong. This story had mm -hmm. the ring of weirdness to it. The polar vortex, two MAGA hats in Chicago, the middle of the night, he kept the sandwich and the noose. I mean, I was like, this, this, uh, something about this is out, is wrong. And it turns out a lot of people had that gut feeling and were kind of 
um, holding back. And then there were a lot of other people, good, you know, actual actual journalists, people who are, are nice people who were weighing in and saying this is horrible. Um, if it happened, they got attacked for saying if it happened. And and then there's this list over at the Daily Caller. You can also find it at investors, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at investors.com. The list is all of the hoaxes that have happened. And so I took some time and uh, yesterday's show, I read through a bunch of them. And I mean, these are like oh, wow. literally Jussie Smollett one through 200. You know, they're all fake stories, made up stories. And most of them happened in the month that President Trump was elected. But it's been an ongoing thing since then. And in every case, the media got the story wrong. And then later when they retracted it, of course, you know, a retraction gets a thousand retweets. The story itself gets 200,000. You know, so mm-hmm. what we've got to have some kind of strategy for going forward. I mean, like a deliberate strategy for viewing these kinds of stories and refusing to share them so that we can keep the damage to a minimum. Because I don't think that that Jesse Smollett's arrest is going to stop people from doing this. Correct. And I think part of it, too, is just this Twitter at this day and age has just really kind of pushed this notion of I've got to be the first to break this news. I've got to be the, the quickest to get this information out there. Or I just heard this little news nugget from here. Or I got this little source telling me this. I've got to be the person that pushes that out. And, and it's a shame because as much as I, as much fun as Twitter can be and as helpful and as informative as it can be, it can also be um, a, very, a tool that's very easily manipulated and turned into something that helps spread misinformation or dishonest or inaccurate information. And that's really what we've seen kind of play out. We've seen a lot of, a lot of stories that at the beginning, I, you know, I, I truly do think people want to give stories and an, an opportunity to shake it out. They want to hear an incident play out before they jump to conclusions. But just with this day and age and this, like, sense of urgency, this rush to be the first, the best, the premier, I think that's really where we're seeing a lapse in judgment um, from, from certain media outlets or from certain reporters. And, and I'm not sure how we go about stemming it, uh, but you're right. When you start looking at the list of things that have, that have happened um, and, and what, and, you know, the role that the media played and at times spreading some misinformation, it, it does make you start wondering, like, how do we have these conversations in a way that's healthy, um, but that's also making sure that we preserve the, the intent or the integrity of, of this incident for what it is without uh, blowing it out of proportion or, or unintentionally delivering misinformation. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I encourage people to go to AFR.net and share this podcast interview with Blair. These are fantastic ideas that you're putting forward. And I, I'm just, my main concern is, is for, so the victims in this case, the two people who mm-hmm. perpetrated the attack, <laughs> turns out they weren't Trump supporters. So no harm, no foul. They actually defended themselves against Jesse. <laughs> When, when the rubber met the road, everybody oh, scattered and went to their own corner. So it it wasn't mm-hmm. as damaging. But the story you mentioned where we've got these young men um, who were, they were just minding their own business, wearing attire that other people in the vicinity didn't like, and they were smeared and intentionally maligned. Right. And now they're suing. I love that they're fighting back. But it's really, a, it's a scary kind of a time because anyone can take a news story, put it on Twitter and just defame you. And then leave the pieces for you to pick up and try to cobble your life back together. And I just hope the Sandman family, I hope they prevail. I hope they get every bit of that 250 million because that's something that Mm -hmm. would ring out in the media and make them think twice about doing these things to people. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe it'll take one, maybe into your point, maybe it does. Maybe it takes one big lawsuit or one big moment like this, where you got a lot of people that are really rallying around this Covington High student um, and that are that are really stepping up to his defense and say, "Hey, how he was framed—that's not right. How he was defamed—that's not right." And maybe it takes this one moment 
um, as a nation, for everybody, the media, to really wake up and, and, and realize what role can I play um, to help stop the spread of misinformation and what can I do to make sure that things start passing the, the, the smell test or the gut check um, before I play a role in, in disseminating this part of this information. But I'm with you. There are a lot of us right now that are, that are really hoping that Nick and his family prevail. It's very courageous that he has taken the time to go to court. Um, I can't imagine being in his shoes, being his age, um, being stared down and, and, and talked about by so many different members of national media and, and you know, political pundits, et cetera. It takes a lot of courage to do what he's doing. So I hope, uh, I certainly hope he prevails. Me too. I, I couldn't agree more. Well, you know what? Fantastic to talk to you. And as I understand it, we may possibly get to talk in person next week at CPAC. We're working on that. The the pleasure would be all mine. I would love to meet with you and, and would love to chat with you as well. That would be just uh, the best part of my week. I know it would. Well, I'm looking forward to it because I think we're going to be able to make it happen. And unless the weather saddles me. Because, you know, I'm sitting here with you now. It's 337. I'm supposed to be at the Eisenhower Executive Office Complex for the uh, Economic Empowerment Summit for Black History Month and then heading over to the White House for the reception for Black History Month. But instead, my flight was canceled three times. And so I'm here. I'm so happy to be chatting with no. you, but I'm just concerned. Next week, I'm, I'm praying for good weather so I can actually make it out of here. I will admit I've been doing a little bit of a snow dance because I do love some snow, but I'll put my snow boots away. I'll stop doing my snow dance to make sure you can get out here safely next week. Now, there's you a lot of people looking forward to see that. Yeah, don't do it next. Don't do the snow dance next week. We'll save it for the week after because otherwise I will not be there. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. I've never had my plane canceled and then rescheduled and then had that one canceled and then rescheduled again and had it canceled. This is my first time. So I was like, what is happening? That is such a bummer. <laughs> that is such a bummer. Well, look, I'll put my snow dancing shoes away because we got to get you out here. We got to get, we got to get everyone out here for CPAC week, but then I'll put them back on once, uh, once CPAC concludes. You know what? I'll take it, Blair. I'll take that because I think <laughs> it's going to have some impact and I need all the help I can get. <laughs> All right, Blair Ellis, Republican National Committee. Thank you for coming on. I hope to see you next week. All right, we are going to be back with more um, Stacey on the right and more talk about Trump tax changes um, that are preventing illegals from claiming uh, all of these dependents and border agents stopping a truck carrying frozen strawberries and finding 12 million in meth in amongst the strawberries. That doesn't freak you out. All right. We'll be back with more after this. it take to be a sports success and a team player here's pro football hall of fame coach tony dungy with today's uncommon moment when defensive back ronnie lott had his finger crushed beneath the running back's foot he chose to have the finger amputated rather than have surgery that would cause him to miss a game that's the kind of player lott was he was fearless tough and remembered as one of the hardest hitting players ever he finished his career with 10 Pro Bowl appearances and four Super Bowl rings. Lott once said, I'm not gifted with great athletic ability or speed, but God always gives you the ability to do one thing, and that's to try hard. His uncommon toughness helped him overcome a lack of size and strength. 
and he became one of the greatest defenders in football history. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of Quiet Strength and the Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Listen to Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on Urban Family Talk. She's sharp. I mean, did you hear that? Pointed. Remember that you're not only a Christian on Sunday. And insightful. Deception and lies have been accepted as the norm from the Democrats. But most of all, she's on the right. That scripture from the Bible that says the heart of the fool inclines to the left just kept popping into my mind. Stacy on the Right. Now heard weekday afternoons from 2 to 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called TuneIn. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go. Our concern about 13 Reasons Why has not diminished. If you've signed the AFA petition to Netflix CEO Reed Hastings, then you've probably heard the story of Anna Bright, who killed herself after binge-watching the show. But did you know she wasn't the first, nor the last? Other young people have been influenced by this program and have taken their own lives. Netflix says they want to stimulate conversations about taboo topics like teen suicide, but they still refuse to have a conversation with the American Family Association about the dangers of their show. Please pray that God will change Mr. Hastings' mind so that he pulls 13 Reasons Why before another life is lost. Look for the AFA Action Alerts with information you can email and share on social media so that others can sign the petition too by visiting afa.net. Every vulnerable teen is another reason why. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. But then, in 2016, President Trump was elected. And just one year later, all of that came to an abrupt end. Trump overhauled the tax system and replaced the head of the IRS. Under his revision, illegal aliens are no longer allowed to claim dozens of children who may not even exist, saving American taxpayers billions of dollars each year. In September of 2017, President Trump signed the Social Security Number Fraud Prevention Act, and in less than a year, the number of Americans who reported being victims of identity theft dropped by 40%. That adds up to over $6 billion a year saved just in identity theft alone, not to mention the money saved not paying for the theoretical children of illegals. And in 2017, banks were also able to recover 144,000 fraudulent refunds, up 16% from Obama's last year, totaling $204 million in savings. The bottom line is that President Trump is saving Americans money, and preventing illegal aliens from scamming the system to steal their identities and hard-earned cash. So, how can you be against that? How can you oppose the opportunity of Americans not to have their um, their identities stolen? So I think if, if there was any 
anything that people could get behind to kind of unify around, kind of like we saw at the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court actually unified around um, the Eighth Amendment and protection from excessive fines and forfeitures. They were able to put aside their partisanship and unify around a constitutional amendment that protects Americans. We should be able to do the same thing as Americans surrounding protecting Americans from identity theft, protecting American taxpayers from being defrauded out of billions of dollars. Remember, our national debt is now $22 trillion, And admittedly, President Trump has never been about cutting the debt. So that's not something that has been a huge campaign promise for him or anything like that. The nature of President Donald Trump seems to be so it really is centric to what he's been about for the past 40 years of his career in the public eye, which is creating jobs, creating wealth, creating opportunity. And but there have to be ways that we can, as a nation, get away from borrowing money to give to people who are in the country illegally, because that's what it amounts to. Yes, it's our tax dollars, but we're borrowing all, a, a lot of money to pay entitlements and all of these things are coming out of the U.S. Treasury. And so if we have to borrow money to put into the Treasury to pay for things, we should be reducing the number of things we have to pay for, especially if they're not things that are lawfully mandated. And I saw somebody, uh, as we had an outsized number of people a couple of days ago, our Periscope uh, of the show, 35,000 people watched it, which I'm like, I don't I didn't, I, we've never had that kind of number on Periscope. Usually we max out at a couple thousand for, a, you know, one, two hour show. So that was pretty phenomenal. Um, and I, I praise God for the increase, but it was the show where we were discussing this topic. And this is a piece of audio that we couldn't squeeze into that show that I saved over for today because this is still worth discussing. And a, a lot of people who were kind of tweeting that at that Periscope program were saying that if you see illegal aliens in your community instead of turning them in or trying to, you know, figure out how they can speak English, you should learn how to speak Spanish and treat them as people, help them, give them money, et cetera, et cetera, because there is no illegal. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the enemy. It's an attempt to decriminalize something that there's a reason why it is unlawful to enter the country any old kind of way. We have to have systems for that. Um, which brings us to the story about the strawberries. So, again, I, I, I just sometimes I'm, I'm surprised by the ingenuity displayed by people who do crime. Criminals really, really work hard to, uh, to, to do crime. Like, it's not easy to do crime in the way that we see people doing it nowadays. Um, and so this story about the, the strawberries, I was kind of like, how could this really be like, how could, how could, how could any one person or group of people want to put methamphetamine in the strawberries and then leave it there so that they can traffic it into the United States. And so that, that story, they, they stopped the truck carrying frozen strawberries. They found $12 million in methamphetamines. And obviously, you know, the people were arrested and prosecuted. I have to also cover this other story. Um, and, and, you know, bear with me here. And I know how Kamala Harris, I hate listening to audio from her because of the way she talks. Um, and we're not going to listen to any audio from her, but this story is really fascinating. 
So last week, we didn't really talk about it a lot because anytime we say anything about marijuana on the show, people like lose their minds. People who support marijuana and the decriminalization of it get all ticked off and people who don't support it get all ticked off. And it's, you know, to me, I'm against decriminalization other than for medical use. And I think, you know, that that's my opinion. I'm not changing my mind. And so it's not worth having big slap fights over. But this is interesting because Kamala Harris made a statement uh, last week, I think she was on The Breakfast Club, which is a black radio program. It's, I think, nationally syndicated, and it's huge, huge, huge radio program. I find much of the content is totally inappropriate, and I've never listened to an entire episode. I have tuned in when certain stars have been on because I want to hear what the star has to say. Usually, I'm listening to it after the fact because the star makes news by going on the show and saying something crazy, and then I go on and listen to it because it you know, has a political aspect to it. Now, this story is about Kamala Harris embracing the smoking of marijuana. And what she did was she connected the smoking of marijuana to her Jamaican heritage. She said, yeah. So she was asked, do you support the decriminalization of marijuana? She said, yes. They asked her, did you ever smoke marijuana yourself? And she said, yeah, uh, like 100 people in my family are Jamaican. So, of course, I've smoked marijuana. She said, half my family is from Jamaica. Are you kidding me? I support legalization because smoking pot gives a lot of people joy and we need more joy. Well, her father is the part of her family through which this Jamaican strain of people comes. And his name's Donald Harris. And he came to the United States from Jamaica in pursuit of a graduate degree in economics. So he's a serious person, not a undergraduate degree, but he already had a bachelor's degree when he arrived on these shores from Jamaica. And he went, he came here to get a advanced degree in economics. Difficult subject. So he's, he's no nincompoop. So he says, my dear departed grandmothers, as well as my deceased parents must be turning in their grave right now to see their family's name, reputation, and proud Jamaican identity being connected in any way, jokingly or not to the fraudulent stereotype of a pot smoking joy seeker in the pursuit of identity politics. Now he issued the statement to the Jamaica global. Um, it's a, it's a news site. He said, speaking for my, myself and my immediate Jamaican family, we wish to categorically disassociate ourselves from this travesty. So it's kind of amazing. I mean, it's, it's not kind of amazing. It's totally amazing that he would come out with this statement, which goes to show you how deeply offended he is by the idea that just because he's a Jamaican man or comes from Jamaica, that he's got to be some pot smoker who just lays around and does nothing but smoke weed and kind of, you know, just makes himself feel joy. You know, just, just that's how, that's how you even get joy to this man who studied and really has made a life for himself using his mind. It has to be utterly offensive. And I can only imagine the conversation he had with his daughter and maybe because she is so hardcore liberal and she's, you know, such a nincompoop herself. Maybe he does not have a lot of good conversations with her about things because they can't see eye to eye because he sounds to me like he's kind of common sense. I know he's probably pretty liberal. I'm not discounting that, but it, it takes something to make a parent come out in public and demount, denounce something their kid said in a presidential run. I think the fact that she said that, that she tried to ingratiate herself to pot smokers by, you know, pointing to her Jamaican heritage, 
it kind of goes to a lack of him teaching her what that really was about when she was a kid. And the fact that he's, you know, he, her mother was um, from India. So not an American Indian, but someone from India, the country. And so they have this, you know, mixed heritage family and, you know, they're very well educated. The mother was a college professor as well with advanced education, but they didn't take the time to instill in their daughter the very kind of conservative ideals that serve them so well. And that's the danger that we're seeing here all over is very successful people who've done well for themselves through hard work, ingenuity, and traditional conservative living are not instilling those values in their kids. They're thinking the kids will get it by osmosis. The kids will see, hey, you know, look how we live. Look at, look at the blessings that we have. Uh, some of that must come from us going to church every Sunday. Or some of that must come from the fact that dad's always had a job and mom's always been very supportive of his work. And, you know, she's even worked sometimes or whatever the, the case might be. No judging. Um, if you don't take the time to explain to kids how that works, they don't just pick it up by osmosis. They, kids do learn by example and they do learn, you know, my dad gets up every morning and goes to work and that's a good thing for me to do too. But you really have to drive those points home with conversation where you talk to your kids at appropriate times when the subject comes up, not the preaching, but just the talking, the conversation aspect where there's a give and a take and exchange of ideas, where you pour into your kids how important it is for them to have a drive and a need to do well and, and really to be focused on that, that they would want to do well for themselves, for their employer, for their family, that they would want to have a proper reputation. And I think... You know, there are other areas of Kamala Harris's life where it's clear that that didn't make it through her affair with a married man, you know, in order to advance her career, her later admission of that. She doesn't have any shame about it. She thinks it's perfectly fine. Um, The fact that she's so nonchalant about a lot of these issues and that she's about to do some serious reversals because she put a lot of marijuana smokers in jail uh, as a prosecutor. And so now she's got to walk that back and do, you know, a whole bunch of uh Kirsten Gillibranding, which is, you know, 360s. Kirsten Gillibrand makes Hillary Clinton look like someone who holds rock solid beliefs that haven't changed over the over the millennia because she's pivoting more and doing, you know, 180 degree turnarounds more than Hillary did. Hillary only had to walk back gay marriage and a couple of stray comments, racist comments about black people. Kirsten Gillibrand has had to walk back almost everything she believed because the woman was almost a rock solid like Goldwater Republican before she decided that it would be more profitable for her to be on the left. And so, you know, again, how much do you really believe if you were incarcerating people for smoking marijuana and violating the law in California, of all places, for decades, and now all of a sudden you want everybody to believe you're a pot-smoking joy seeker? How much of what you believe, how much of what you say on a regular basis is your true close-held belief system, and how much of it is calculated with a finger in the wind to see exactly what will get you the votes that you need to attain your next political aspiration. The thing about Kamala Harris is she's dangerous enough as a senator. The fact that she's had such a strong uh, showing in her announcement for the presidency points to a lack of uh, you know, cohesive thought on the part of voters. People can't judge beyond what it looks uh, the, the look of the person. So she's attractive. So she's got a good educational background. But what does she believe? And how did she behave when people weren't watching her and she wasn't popular? How did she behave? Who was she then? 
um, you know, an examination of her record shows that she is she is impressive in in the if you're looking at education or if you're looking at her career, the way she's been able to move through politically. Sure. But is that all it takes to be the president of the United States? The presidency isn't the easy job that you only have to have the right just check off the right boxes in your educational background and have some experience and be older than the minimum and you'd make a great president. It takes a lot more than what we see coming out of Kamala Harris. And this instance where her father is publicly rebuking her is one of those, you know, this this is the moment where people who are looking at her and thinking she's the female Barack Obama. Okay, if you think that's a good thing. If you're thinking about voting for her, if you're thinking about she would be better than, you know, all of the insulting things that people call President Trump. What has she accomplished? What has she built? And where is her family? Well, you know, so her father has now publicly rebuked her. She's married, but that's only a recent thing. I, I think if it wasn't such a normative, historical attribute for presidents to be married, that she probably would never have married that man. Because it's been in her mind to be the president for over 10 years now. She, they've been grooming her for it. The other thing I found interesting was that I saw an article about how President Obama has been meeting with the Democrat hopefuls, talking about you know how, how they can polish their image and how they can kind of replicate some of the magic that he had on the campaign trail. And last but not least, as I hear the music cranking up, the Democrats are now going to require everyone running on their side to sign an affirmation that they're actually Democrats. And they're going to let Bernie Sanders get away with signing a piece of paper, but he's been an independent and a communist and a socialist his entire public career. Yeah, that's what that's the kind of brinksmanship they're engaging in over there. All right, that's the show for today. We will be back with more tomorrow. Until then, have a fantastic evening. And thank you for being here at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association. Urban Family Talk. Urban Family Talk.